Hey, this is PJ Souls, and you are totally listening to Nightmare Junkhead. Woo! Keep listening. In and out of your consciousness like a bad dream you can't wake from, this is the Nightmare Junkhead Podcast, a horror podcast that has always been skeptical of social gatherings. <laughs> My name is Greg D. I'm Genius McGee. And on today's episode, we're kicking off Women in Horror Month by heading to the hills for a little self-help as we analyze Karin Kusama's The Invitation. And you don't have to have an RSVP to listen into our show. Simply search for Nightmare Junkhead wherever podcasts are played. Hit subscribe, and when we drop our latest episode, it will download directly to your listening device of choice. All up in your dinner party hole. And of course, if you are out on social media, you can find us out on Twitter at Nightmare Junk and on Facebook at Nightmare Junkhead. And of course, it is on that book of face where we have an events tab, which leads to shenanigans and party shenanigans. (laughs) And as this episode is releasing on Friday, February 5th, Over at Screenland Armor, they have your genre needs taken care of indoors. And virtually. And that very Friday, our latest Friday Night Fright. Yes. Oh, yes. This is a movie I saw multiple times in the theater. It affected me every single time. We're kicking off Women in Horror Month with Julia Ducarnu's Raw. Oh, baby, I like it raw. Yeah, baby, I like it raw. This movie, I... I saw it for the first time, maybe uh, way after, and I was like, "God damn, this is a crazy movie!" I enjoy it a lot. A lot of good, um, a lot of good violence in that movie. It makes me really appreciate and also be very cautious of my veterinarians. Yeah, amongst other things. But that following Friday, then not necessarily women and horror, but because we are so close to Valentine's Day. We're going to do a little uh, partying with Harry Warden. Yes! 1981's My Bloody Valentine. The um, restored cut. Yes, yes. The one with the extra gore. The extra violent one. This one is the one you need to see. You're like, oh, I've seen Bloody 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 plenty of times. Not like this. This movie adds a whole extra level of awesome to an already awesome sandwich. And then that next Friday... And this is the one I'm so excited for. If we're truly celebrating women, women in horror and we're oh, here in the Kansas City area. Yeah, the GGP reigns. Jill Gavargazion's The Stylist will be premiering on a Friday Night Fright. Fuck yes. I am so ready for everybody to see this movie because not only is it local hero Jill Six, but it's a fucking rad movie too. It is, fuck, it is definitely... On our best of 2020 and a lot of other reputable people, too. And will be noted that the goth gangster princess will be making an appearance and doing a little Q&A afterwards. Mm-hmm. So please head on out and check it out. Now that this weekend, though. Get your tickets now. It's selling out really quick. Yes, it is. And we're talking theater one as well. Yeah. So, so. we're being socially distanced and safe. So and, you sh- and it should be noted, then, that means you're going to be seeing one genius McGee shaking his groove thing. Yeah, on the, on big, the screen. big screen. Holy shit, I didn't even think about that. Looking right at you. <laughs> well, speaking of looking right at you, also this weekend, some genre fair, we have Jim Jarmusch's Only Lovers Left Alive. Sexy vampires. Hipster vampires. Mm-hmm. We have uh, Henry Selleck's Coraline. 
Coraline. I like that movie. Genuinely enjoyed it. Was a big surprise when I first saw it. Didn't realize how legitimately scary it is. Fuck yeah. Uh, we have Spike Lee's Bamboozled. I've seen that. So I've seen that. No, and I've seen that for me as well. And then the one I think I know uh, Mount Baldy will be really looking forward to. Fury Road, the black and chrome edition. Shiny and chrome. That movie is not mediocre. And again, just like with My Bloody Valentine, the black and chrome version is the way to see this movie. I love Fury Road, but times 10 with the black and chrome. It's such a beautiful movie. Yeah, it's it's truly a, a visual marvel. That's great. <laughs> and then also that weekend, talk about something totally different. Transformers. The animated movie. Yes! Genius, you've got the touch. You've got the power. Yeah. <laughs> yeah! That's a dope... That is a big part of the childhood. And you want to talk about... We're going to be talking a lot of trauma this episode. That hit me at a point I wasn't expecting back in 1986. I'll just say that. Oh, yeah. Tra- that was more than meets the eye. Transform my heart. Now, of course, if you're not ready to go indoors, you can, of course... Rent a number of films through ScreenlandOnline.com. Rent Psycho Gorman. <laughs> and you can, of course, uh, help direct uh, benefit them directly by becoming a member of their Patreon film family by heading to Patreon.com slash Screenland, where they do have uh, specific podcasts, watch parties, a few things that we have contributed to, of course, with the Shutter Shoutout. Mm-hmm. And if we are, of course, talking Patreon and film family. Hey, Bally's. We, of course, have been putting out some uh, exclusive content over at Patreon. And what I'd like to do really quickly, if we could, Mm -hmm. to indulge us for a second, is to highlight one of the tiers that we have there. And it is the I've seen that tier, Mm -hmm. which if you hear us say it a lot. In fact, we just talked about, yeah, I've seen Bamboozle, which means we could probably BS our way through a conversation with that. So we decided we would reward people for three dollars a month. You get this in the I've seen that tier. Of course, you're going to get a shout out on the show. We're going to plug and promote anything you are working on. Mm-hmm. Of course, making sure it's uh, appropriate. Right. We don't want to plug like Buffalo Bills hand lotion. Yeah, yeah. That's well. That's, maybe we do. Well, yeah. <laughs> Can we be bought out by Big Buffalo Bill? Yeah. <laughs> Big Skin Company. That's right. That's right. Always. Would, would you sponsor me? I'd sponsor me. Sponsor me so hard. <laughs> But of course, uh, three days a week on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I put little five, 10 to 15 minute reaction episodes of me reacting to films I'm watching for the first time. Uh, recently, I've watched uh, William Friedkin's Sorcerer for the first time. Oh my God. The Rope Bridge Swing. The Rope Bridge, that is a legit, it's legit lives up to the hype. But also, uh, Lynn Ramsey's You Were Never Really Here. Yes. Again, our our guest has given me the eyes. Genius, is that an I've seen that for you? I, I, that's an I've seen that. It's on Amazon Prime. Check it out. Okay. But then, of course, the, the exclusive content to the I've seen that tier is once a month, we review a newly released horror film. And the one that we released here in the month of January was... Psycho Gorman. Maybe you do like hunky boys. <laughs> Quite honestly, you can rent it on Screenland Online. If you have the chance to see it in a theater, you really want to. It's crazy. Bomb! It is. The, we're calling it now. This is probably going to be in our top five of the year. Oh, absolutely. It's gonna, that's, that is a high bar we're setting for this one because I fucking... I rarely see movies the next day twice, and I did, and was twice. like twice and just ready for it. I was The jokes even hit better when I knew they were coming. 
So if you would like access to Genius's reaction to that and so much more, become a member of our film family by heading over to patreon.com slash Nightmare Junkhead. That's right, bellies. You're fucking rad. They're all very rad. Now, speaking of rad people, here in the month of February, what we've been doing, at least within the last three years, is, of course, celebrating Women in Horror Month, Mm -hmm. in which we take a look at some of our favorite women in horror, be it writers, directors, producers, actors, anyone associated with it, artists, podcasters, you know, anyone out there that has a love of horror. And it's been so much fun because what we've been able to do is invite some of our favorite women in horror to come and talk their favorite women in horror. And I should say all this because our guest on this episode, I have been a fan of, of their work for quite some time, but it's always been from afar because typically it's a lot of the stuff that I would read. However, because they're local, whenever they would show up at uh, a film or a festival, I realized this is probably the place to be. It's because this is a pretty cool individual that knows their genre, that loves their genre. You know, I, I, would, I would call Genius McGee when we see the blonde in front oh, at a yeah. festival. Oh, yeah. It's the place to be, right? Oh, yeah. She's like Visa. She's everywhere you want to be. That's right. And same as our next guest. Now, of course, you can read her work at a number of places, including Slash Film, Sojourners, and, of course, The Pitch. Uh, She is the president of the Kansas City Film Credit Circle. Please welcome to Nightmare Junket for the first time, Abby Olchesi. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. It's such a lovely introduction. Y'all are making me blush. This is great. Quite no, sincerely, you are doing us such a solid on the side, and I know it doesn't really look like I'm blushing, but of course we're very, very grateful for you to be here. So, mm-hmm. uh, now that being said, before we uh, lay down on the couch and get psychoanalyzed here, tell our listeners where can they find you out on social media? Please plug and promote away. For sure, um, probably the best place to find me consistently and see what I'm doing is on Twitter. I'm at Abby Olchesi. It's A B B Y O L C E S E. I have one of those names that like you can look at but never know how to pronounce. So it's it's helpful if I spell it. Um, and yeah, I I am the the film editor at the Pitch, so I'm there pretty regularly, uh, either writing stuff or behind the scenes. Um, I also write a lot for uh, Crooked Marquee and have about like a review a week up there. So those are probably the most consistent places to find me. But yeah, I, I freelance literally everywhere. And whenever your, your writing pops up, I'm always looking forward to it because it's always nice to be able to have someone here in the local area that loves genre the way we do. But then when they can put just a very intellectual approach to it, but through like the pop culture filter that you do just in terms of your references and what you pull, you know, quotes from, it's just, it's really refreshing and it's genuine. So always looking forward to that. Now, that being said, a question we always ask any of our first time guests is what is or what was your horror origin i.e what was it that made you look at horror and go you know what i can get into it you know was it a movie a moment a book a relative but what was it that kind of you know transported you into that whole new world um i would say uh so like for a little bit of background i i grew up mostly in uh pittsburgh kansas in like small town southeast kansas um it's it's not necessarily super easy to find groundbreaking stuff to watch. Um, so my my exposure to that was primarily through like whatever was on basic cable because my parents were not horror fans either. So I didn't really have a lot of like schooling background. Um, but when I was in high school, maybe this was probably like 2004, 2005, 
um, Bravo put out this series. It was like a countdown series called the 100 Scariest Horror Movie Moments, which I still revisit pretty regularly on YouTube because those clips are really good. Like they got some really important people to to speak on that documentary, um, like including Mark Kermode, who I had not heard of up until that point and is now like one of my favorite film critics. So like that was it was a it was a groundbreaking moment for me in more ways than one. Um, but uh, I think. I, I tend to tell people, like, you should definitely check it out. Be aware that they spoil, like, literally every movie they talk about. Uh, but for a uh, for a high school kid who, like, had literally no background in horror and wasn't sure if it was a thing that I could get into, having that stuff spoiled for me up front was actually really helpful because it helped me understand, like, kind of what to expect, what I was in for, what kinds of things might be the most interesting for me. Um, so... After that, once I hit college and had access to like a library with the full Criterion collection, um, I, I basically could seek out stuff like Diabolique and uh, what else, um, like Videodrome. And uh, I think the ones that ended up being like super um, influential, I think, in terms of me realizing what it was I liked um, was uh, I think The Mist came out like right around the time that I hit college. Uh, and then Alien shortly after that. So like anything, I, I got really excited about anything that like involved kind of biological, like sciencey horror, mm -hmm. anything that kind of felt like the next evolution of a thing that you couldn't possibly overcome. Like, I just thought that was so interesting and creative. Um, so those were, those were kind of my, my entry, my entry points. So what were your thoughts on the beach house? I was going to ask about the beach house. Um, the beach house, I need to revisit. I wasn't, um, I don't know that I was really in the right mindset to super enjoy that the first time it came out. I liked some of the ideas at play, um, mm -hmm. but I, I've heard like nothing but great things about it. So I want to go back and like revisit it and really give it the attention it deserves. Based on that's immediately what my mind was right. like, oh, oh, because I do, do recall that one really hitting that way. But you know what was cool about what you your horror origins was? We always talk about on the show Horror 101 and what's entry level horror and how to get, you know. But when, when we came to what you did, that's kind of cool because it's like the cliff notes of Horror 101, you know? And I remember growing up with, like, Love and Terror in the Isles and yep. seeing shit like that where it's like, yeah, it does spoil it. Because, like, unfortunately, I still watch some of those, like, you know, top 10 horror movies that you can stream or blah, 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 blah on one of those YouTube shows. And they'll spoil the shit out of movies, too. But I was like, okay, cool. I, I still enjoy that shit. So, yeah, that's that's awesome. By any chance, did you uh, go to Liberty Video to get uh, any of your videos back in the day? In like the, the in, Liberty Hall in video Lawrence, in, yeah. in Lawrence? Yeah, I did. Because um, that was, I think before I realized that I could get stuff at the library, I went to Liberty Hall pretty regularly just because mm -hmm. I was so excited to be in a place that had like a thriving independent cinema. And I should also add that uh, the the 100 scariest movie moments, like this didn't hit for years down the line, but it, it didn't, it hit big. Um, that was the the introduction uh, for me to uh, the Night of the Hunter, which is like my favorite movie of all time. Like that would not have happened without that documentary series. So that was it was a pretty big deal. Oh, of course it is. That is so right. Oh my God, that is Robert Mitchum in that is just so terrifying. And what would we say? He's just all chussle. Chussle. Just yeah. Raw. Oh, chussle. That's well, yeah. That's that's accurate. <laughs> he's terrifying that way. There is something about that old man build from you know the 30s to the 50s that they weren't muscular but you know you couldn't take them everybody's talking about wanting a dad bod now but they don't <laughs> want a dad bod when the dad bod's ready to beat some ass 
Well, we were uh, fortunate enough, you were kind enough to ask us to get some input on an article that came out not too long ago in The Pitch, uh, talking about horror and how it's been helping people through the pandemic. Uh, Give us a little insight on what was the inspiration to that particular article. For sure. There was a academic study that came out uh, last year and First of all, I was I was super impressed with the amount of turnaround time that the study had. Like they they started it after the pandemic started, and like that sucker was out by September or October. Like they did their research and they did it quick. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it probably also helped that the folks who did it, like this is literally their 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 area. Like they are horror based academics. Um, they there was a, a kind of a sociological study done um, between a couple of different universities. There was a, a guy at the uh, University of Illinois in Chicago, and uh, he partnered with some folks at Aarhus University, who I think he had worked with before in Denmark, um, to kind of decide whether uh, horror movies or like people with kind of a morbidly curious mindset is kind of how they yeah. <laughs> How they how they described it, which I, I I appreciated. I thought it was it was a cool way of saying like people who were super into goth shit. Um, spooky but, kids. Yeah. <laughs> spooky kids. Uh, which I think which is funny because both of these guys like they're they're sort of buttoned up academics, but talking to them both like they're both big horror nerds. So it was like these are you know these are people of the community talking to other people they know in the community. So like it's you can make a job out of it apparently, which is great. Oh. Um, <laughs> I know, right? There's, there's like this hope for us all. Um, <laughs> but they, uh, they found that horror fans felt more emotionally equipped to handle life during the pandemic than non-horror fans, um, which is, I think, it's, it's fascinating for a number of reasons. One being, and I, I think I talked to you both about this, that like every movie critic that I know who's like deeply involved in the horror scene is clinically depressed. So <laughs> that's. That's one part of it. Um, I feel like maybe that kind of puts some stuff in perspective. Like if that's the mindset you live with, it's nothing new. I don't know. <laughs> it's not so much quarantine. It's just another day. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I think there might be some of that involved. Um, but also there is there are a lot of different uh, kind of theories, which I think they're still kind of looking into and finalizing as to why that might be. Um, and I think they're all pretty valid. One of them being that... Uh, just watching stuff in general, what like engaging with with fictional narratives and particularly with movies, um, just because they they hit pretty quickly, like you know hour and a half to two hours and you're done. Um, that uh, when we engage in fictional narratives, we are like engaging with other worldviews and other frameworks with which to consider the lives that we are living, basically. So whether or not we realize it we are kind of subconsciously engaging with something that could be like harmful or helpful, depending on how you engage with it. Um, but I think for people who are well-versed in, in horror, for, for people who watch this, this kind of stuff a lot, it, it can be, it can be helpful. Like we've sort of built up a, a framework in our minds that, uh, kind of helps us survive in certain situations, which I think we'll actually end up talking about a little bit with the invitation. Cause I've, I've, I've got some stories related to that. Um, but yeah, I thought that was a it was it was a super fun and interesting article to write just because I, I I really like it when I see somebody well first of all when I see people like working in an academic and like sort of more highly respected setting I guess like a, a higher profile setting than than what a lot of us actually like regularly do mm-hmm. um, saying the kinds of things and engaging with media in the kinds of ways that I typically do and coming to the same conclusions so I can point at it and be like look see it's real I'm not making it up. Um, <laughs> 
but uh, yeah, it's and it's also just fun to kind of engage with those people and to to see where they're coming from. So the the conversations that we had and conversations that I had with with you and with Jill and a couple of other folks as well, I think we're all uh, they were yeah they were super fun and enlightening. It was a great article to write. It was well, thank you for letting us be involved with that mm-hmm. because that's one thing that we've from. I don't want to say the get go, but one of the first conversations genius and I ever had was talking about how horror just is that cathartic kind of element. The and release. I Yeah. You said feeding the what? Feeding the gator. <laughs> you got to feed the gator. If the gator's going to feed on you, one of the two uh, just, you know, and again, most of the horror fans that I know that are seeped in horror are some of the most nice people, of course. But as you mentioned, Abby, yeah, I'm not going to lie, and I don't know if it's a film critic thing or if it's just a horror fan thing, but that depression, oh my goodness, it's very real. Yeah, it is. And it's something that, again, drives us, you know, kind of moves us forward, but we're, we're prepared with it. I, I remember people, the minute the pandemic hit, they started watching things like Contagion. Right. Right? Yeah, and like I'm, and even like as a as a horror fan, like that's not an area that I even wanted to go near. It was like that is way too close. Like, and especially because that one gets so much credit for being realistic. I was like, that's mm-hmm. the last thing I want to see. Exactly. I was like, no, no, no. I need to go watch Buckaroo Banzai beyond you know. Yeah. Hell, I'll go Freddy's uh, Nightmare Three, but I I didn't even want to put Twenty Eight Days Later in my rotation yet. You know, <laughs> just I'm gonna hold off on that one. Well, but, and it's be it a distraction or just something that does, like you said, prepares us for this everyday reality. Uh, horror, horror helps. Horror mm-hmm. heals. It's just one of those things. But the reason I mentioned the article because, and the reason that I'm glad we're able to talk about uh, Karen Kusama's The Invitation is because it's a movie that truly was transformative for me because I was in the midst of a severe depression. And genius, I don't know if you remember, but like, um, you know, we for a, probably a good month had no episodes. You were hosting things by yourself. I was constantly like, I just just do it, whatever. And I was just retreating and retreating. And I I watched Karen Kusama's The Invitation. And there was a moment in that movie, which we'll get to eventually, that it, it just brought me to tears. But the tears were if I don't change my course in life at this point, I'm going to end up like this particular character. And the fate of this character was not pleasant. And I realized I, I need to take care of myself. And it was because of that movie that to this day, I'm now in therapy and I'm, I'm, I'm getting better, (laughs) but it's still a struggle. And even rewatching the movie, you know, for this, it hit me in a different way. We often talk about, you know, the beauty of genre movies is, the baggage that you bring, be it when you see it the first time as a kid or seeing it for the billionth time, is it's going to change the way you, you view a film. And this particular film, oh my goodness, like I said, it is just one of those movies that has hit me in different ways. But Abby, what was your initial interaction with this particular film? I watched this, I think, to review uh, for for Sojourners initially. Um, and I... Well, I, my my reaction to it was twofold. Uh, we'll we'll get to the we'll get to the more practical end of it here in a sec. But uh, the uh, the emotional side of it, I thought, was super interesting in that it uh, primarily deals with um, like ideas of of grief and pain and regret, and the fact that we try just as humans really really hard to not engage with those emotions. Um, even when, and especially when, I think they have to be engaged with directly. 
Um, so it, it gives you kind of a, a, a couple of different perspectives on how people address that. We have uh, Logan Marshall Green, Green's character, uh, Will, who is, I think, much more pragmatic about uh, his, his approach to his approach to, to dealing with trauma. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we have Eden, his, his ex-wife and her, uh, her new husband, um, who's the, uh, you know, Dario from, uh, yes. from Game of Thrones. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, who should really be in more things. I like that actor so much, even though I can't pronounce his first or last name. Um, but, uh, he's, he's very talented and he's very good at being like, kind of like, well, that, that kind of character specifically mm-hmm. where he's like really charming you really want to hang out with him. You really hope he's a nice guy, but there's like this sort of off thing about him where you're like, I really don't know, dude. Um, and yeah, their, their approach to it. And like really everybody that they're interacting with, they're all of the folks who they spent time with, you know, quote unquote in Mexico. Um, and uh, all of the stuff that they talk about, like the things that they've done that they regret, uh, which in some cases are straight up homicide. And like, there should be, there should be consequences for the things that they've done. And so like, not only are they not dealing with trauma, like they are straight up trying to escape the fact that they did bad shit. And it's just, you can't, it's, it's like genius said, like it's, you got to feed the gator or the gator eats you. Like it's, you can't ignore that. You have to address it. Otherwise you end up in, like a cult murder scenario and nobody wants that you're handing out invitations uh genius what was your initial interaction was this your first time viewing this is my first time viewing i just saw this movie yesterday was it yesterday day before day before day before and and i've heard nothing but good things and of course um you were telling me about like the invitation and what it meant to you or like off mic and before that and so i'm like i have this hype and it's not necessarily like a lot of hype, but I've heard nothing but good things, and I get burned by hype yeah. a lot, you know. So, and, and sometimes I take it personally. So, <laughs> so I went in with with higher expectations than I would normally see a movie, and not only did this movie like succeed, it, but it also like just a great fucking film. Uh, but I think the first thing I says is God. Damn, it's already five minutes into the movie and I'm already heartbroken. Holy shit. Because it's so dour and then it's so creepy. But at the same time, it's there's this weird, odd mixture of like sexy and sinister and almost like a Tupperware party or orgies about to happen in the middle of it. Because it's like you don't know what's going on. Everybody's just like a little off. There's your spider senses should be tingling. And the fact that like will right off the bat, I'm like, that's stem talking to him. Like we need to get out of here. You know, <laughs> I know Kung Fu. It's all right. Let us leave. You know? And I was like, your spider senses should be tingling on everybody. And the fact that it just kept escalating and escalating and escalating. And not only did you say the fact that these people like did terrible shit and they come need to come to some sort of consequence. It just seemed like, Nobody else's spider senses were tingling in a gra- in a grounded world, but at the same time, it did. It felt very realistic, but it also felt so sinister and so creepy through through the get out that I was just blown away. And even though, like, again, how we were talking about watching those um, YouTube clips and like those top ten horror movies, it's going to spoil the ending. I went in knowing exactly what how the ending is going to play out, and even the whole like end scene. But I was still blown away. I was still like, holy shit. 
this is brutal and it's mean and it's also but it's under the guise of love and care and that's what made it the creepiest it should be noted then i think that speaks to the strength of karen kusama's direction then the fact that you knew the ending but the journey that she took you on that roller coaster of emotions because every time Will's um, the paranoia kicked in. There was always an explanation for things and it would settle down. And by the time we finally get to the end, when Kevin shows up and he's got that moment where he's just, he, he feels bad. He feels so bad. And then all that other stuff happens. And I love the idea of the paranoia, but I'll just throw this out there. Have any of you ever been to or invited to an awkward dinner party? Because the anxiety throughout this movie, it's, palpable it's it's just oh my god dude every place i go to turns into an awkward party i mean like <laughs> like i'm going to quick trip it just got real weird you know <laughs> i only i only mention it because i back in when i when i was married i had to go to a few of the the workplace functions dinners esque parties at someone's house <laughs> at, and I'm good to fake it till I make it, but oh my goodness, you know, inside I'm screaming. I'm like, oh, I don't know these people. Oh, I'm just, I wish I was at home just being by myself. So I understand the awkwardness of that. Abby, have you ever been in that scenario? Well, here we go. Uh-oh, um, uh-oh. Let me, yeah, let me, let me let loose. Um, I, I have not necessarily been to like a, like an awkward, like potentially sexy dinner party like this one is. Um <laughs> I do. I do like watching those movies partly because it just it feels like such an adult situation to have that many people in your house for dinner, and you're just like, oh my god, I hope I get to do that one day, uh, especially now when you can't. Uh, right. But yeah, so there's like there's part of me that aspires to that, like minus the murder, but uh, it's I I do think about that. Um, but also, uh, I how do I say this? I had lunch with a cult once, and. Um, so let's let's talk about that because the experience that I had was really very emotionally close to what Will goes through in this. Um, I think I saw this for the first time uh, maybe about a year and a half after that had happened, and so I was just like watching his reactions to everything that happened, and I was like, "Yeah, this is right on. His instincts are exactly correct." <laughs> so so uh, yeah, lay lay down on the couch here. We're gonna break out our notepads right. here. Walk yeah, us yeah. through this experience. Um, what, what? How did this come about? It sounds like so, lunch and not dessert. Because <laughs> you're still talking yeah, to us right? now. So. Um, and I, I, yeah, I, I probably, I don't know. I anyway, we'll get there. We'll we'll get into the details. So, are you guys familiar with uh, the uh, the cult, the Twelve Tribes of Israel? Mm. They're okay. Some folks are. Some folks are aren't. Um, like kind of on the on the scale of cults, they're um, they're a little more on the chill side, I guess. Um, <laughs> like they have communities that are kind of spread internationally. So like they have little communities that are like all over the place um and they usually run like restaurants and farmsteads and stuff like most of the places that they are so like there's there's one there's one group in lawrence that has a a farm and i think had a um like a sandwich shop for a while or something um so i i got their tracks on my car a couple of times which is how i knew that they were locally (laughs) operational and i was like oh no um but (laughs) But my first encounter with them was when I uh, was living in Washington, D.C. as part of a year-long internship. Um, and this was with a, a like progressive faith-based social justice organization. And uh, we the, the interns for this group, all of us were living together in a house. That was part of the deal, was that 
this this organization had started as an intentional community. And so all of the interns were required to live in intentional community as well to kind of get to like the heart and soul of the organization. Um, so we had been there for about a week and we headed out to, uh, it was like a, a cabin not far outside of Harpers Ferry, Virginia. Um, for like this weekend retreat during which we were supposed to kind of figure out what we wanted for our intentional community experience, kind of draw up a covenant and start sort of like having, start having those discussions. Um, and I, like we had two, two cars, two groups of people. I was in a car with our internship program director and her baby. She had, she'd had like the, the kid was less than a year old. So she was still like breastfeeding. So she was bringing her along with us on the trip. Um, so she was telling me about where we were going to stop for lunch. And she's like, yeah, it's this super cute cafe in this little town. It's sort of like the last place you can go before, like, there's no, um, yeah, there's no real good food. And which immediately like the, the little sensors start pinging where you're like, huh, well, usually in movies, this is not like a great situation. Um, <laughs> yeah. and she's like, yeah, it's run by an intentional community. Uh, and they have, they have like, yeah, she, she referred to this group as an intentional community throughout um and i don't think she i don't think she she realized that that was what they were like we had to research on our own and later found out yeah they're legit a cult this was not a good experience um and and she was telling me yeah they have they have places like all over the country and all over the world and it's like this big network of people who just like live in community together and like grow their own vegetables and sell them um and so we get to this place and it's closed uh for rosh hashanah which is odd because these people are not jewish i guess they're just kind of sort of pan religious we're respecting everybody which is fine and cool yeah. mm -hmm. um but not great for us because now we're hungry and there's nowhere to eat so we get out of the car we wander around for a while and try to figure out what to do um our director is like trying to figure out how to change her kid's diaper in a parking lot and um while we're doing this a couple of older women come up the hill and start talking to us and we're like hey um this do you know anything about like it turns out that they were they were part of the community that ran the cafe and we were like i know you guys are closed uh, is there anywhere else that we could go to get is there like a mcdonald's or like a bait shop like anywhere we can get like i don't know chips and dip or something or like at least find a bathroom so that our director can change her kid's diaper and of course those the the two women and i i shit you not quote this is exactly what they said they just looked at us and go Oh, there's nothing around for miles. Oh, no. Right? No, I know. Saying this, I love having this conversation with people who watch horror movies yeah. because, like, the reaction that you oh, guys have no. is completely different. It's got a dick. Anybody else who was with me at that time, I was just like, just everything like it's starting to like clouds on the horizon coming over like it's about to storm this is not great and i don't feel super cool about it um but they said you know well if you want you guys can come and have lunch with us we're about to have lunch and we're like are you sure there's 10 of us we're not a small group and they're like oh no there's 40 of us which is also just like what the fuck? <laughs> we outnumber like, you come on over intentional community to straight up commune and like <laughs> compound at this point so like I'm I'm not sure about it, but our our internship director seems okay with it, and she's the one in charge. She's older than all of us, so I'm like, okay, sure, yep. sure if you want to go, we'll go. Um, so we get in her car and we go down the road, and she's like, you know, different cultures have different ways of of being hospitable, and like in the Middle East, it wouldn't be weird at all to invite somebody into your home. I'm like, yeah, sure, but we're in Virginia, like that's not, it's different. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, 
so uh and i'm sorry this is long but no like, no 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 no, no. You, i want to give you a sense of like my mountain dread yeah no absolutely i'm with you on the ride i'm like fuck <laughs> all those things as soon as like there's nobody around for miles fuck we're then bye <laughs> <laughs> right yeah 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 and so we we go down the road a little bit and pull into like this this circle of houses like big houses and like there are all these trees there are like kids climbing in the trees um like there are all these people walking around they're all like the dudes are all wearing like cotton shirts and parachute pants the women all have like long hair long skirts um which again not great but like i grew up in southeast kansas not far from like some pretty conservative communities in missouri that dress like that so like it's not unheard of just you know maybe a little outside the realm of normalcy um so we get out of the car we start talking to folks and like uh, our internship director goes off to take care of her kid and like vanishes for about a half an hour which is again not great um mm-mm, mm-mm. i start wondering what's happening to her and in the meantime we're having conversations with the people who live there and they're telling us like how their community works and how long they've been doing it and how different people came there um one of the guys who i think is he's been there for like not as long as some folks, but long-ish. And he's kind of got that sort of uh, strong leader quality to him. Um, Like, you know, I'm putting that charitably. But, you know, he's got a forceful personality. And so he starts talking to us, and he's, like, affable. And then he starts talking about how the church is the bride of Christ, at which point I'm just like, shit, shit, we need to get out of here. (laughs) And bear in mind, the people that I I live with who are here with me, I have known for, like, a week and a half. And granted, we have lived together but there's a lot about them I don't know. And I don't know how they feel about this. Some of them grew up in like in larger intentional communities that are not dissimilar from this. Like they're not like single fiber clothing places, but like they are large farm communities. So like my normal is probably different than somebody else's normal. Um, but it still doesn't feel great. And one one of the older women comes up at some point and has like this old rusty key in her hand. And they're like, oh yeah, sister so-and-so is our herbalist. And she's like, I want to take them to see the herbarium. And I'm like, no. Oh no. Come into right? my murder right? greenhouse. Yes, and here's exactly. where I grow witch hazel and mandrake root. And like all, and, and here's the Venus flytraps. They eat Thank meat. Thank you for validating my experience, genius, because this is exactly what I thought. I was like, <laughs> oh, man, you're going to take us here, and you're either going to kill us and bury us and use us as fertilizer for your fucking heirloom tomatoes, mm-hmm. or you're going to take us out there, knock us out, and I'm going to wake up cult married to some dude I've never met before. So, like... Right? There's only three things that a big old rusty key opens, and right? that's either a cellar, an old murder barn, or a death geranium you know See, so and this is this is this is pertinent to the conversation we had about the article because like movies that i had seen up to this point had given me a framework for surviving this situation <laughs> and recognizing you. the triggers which my friends who were not horror movie fans did not have and so mm. i was operating on a different wavelength um you were the one so, in the movie you were the one in the movies that like we need to go now and everybody's like no yeah, exactly let's go i am let's no, go am, into I the basement in 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 fucking cabin in the woods where i say i'm gonna draw a line in the fucking sand do not read the latin that's yeah. me <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly because especially like when they're all like hey have some lunch we make the sausage ourselves you know and right it's like... <laughs> yeah 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 exactly and i i did eat their food I probably shouldn't have. That was my one dumb mistake. But I, I, it ended up fine. We ended up fine. 
Um, <laughs> you didn't, they but, didn't like, would you like a cherry on top or anything? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we do like, they did finally, like it, it seemed like it was taken forever, but they, they invited us into the, into the house to have lunch. And I was like, just frantically looking around at the people I was with. And I knew like, there was, there was one guy who was around my age. Like we were like the older, like a lot of the folks who were in this group had just graduated college. We both had been out for around the same amount of time. We were slightly more mature. Um, and so we go into the house and there's this big vat of yerba mate, like, like, like a, like a cooler of, of, of mate tea, um, that they, that like people were, were drinking, you could get like that or water. And I was like, oh man, Edward's really into mate. I'm going to ask him if he wants some. And if he tells me, no, I will know that we are on the same page here and that we are going to escape together. And so we're in line and I turned back and I was like, Hey, Edward, you want some yerba mate? And he's like, no, I'm cool. I'm like, good, 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 good. You and me, you and me. Um, <laughs> Planning the escape routes, looking for the exits. Exactly. It was just like, yeah, kind of like the, I don't know, like, like, yeah, the prison camp look where you're just like, yeah, okay, I gotcha. I've, <laughs> I've only known these people for a week, so I don't have, <laughs> if one gets caught in a bear trap, we'll keep on running. So- <laughs> exactly. It was like, you, you I can trust. Um, so we have lunch. It's super weird. We ate with silverware. They ate with metal chopsticks, which... Uh, they said was supposed to be like in solidarity with their like community brothers and sisters who live in Eastern countries, which like, again, weird, but fine. We later looked it up and it turned out that it was like a, it was a shaming tactic basically. So like they make members eat with metal chopsticks and if you can't do it, they shame you. Um, So it's, yeah, it's, there's, there's a lot of like emotional abuse that goes on in that organization that we looked up and found examples of later. Um, so and also their mo we found out is like they um they will gain like they gain converts in a variety of ways but one of the main ways they do is by going to uh like places like for example the appalachian trail there was one guy who had like kind of wandered in after like hiking basically because he was dehydrated and they gave him something to drink so he came back and he got stuck with them um and like other other places like they'll go to like uh maybe not coachella but like coachella type events so like Mm -hmm. big music festivals where people are just like high off their asses and uh like maybe not in great mental shape and so they'll like they'll park there with like a big old bus and be like hey we've got water and food come and hang out and recuperate with us and so you get on the bus you drink their water they indoctrinate you and then you join um so those are those are a couple of the ways that they that they gain new people um but yeah we ate lunch with them it was weird they sang us a creepy song about jesus um and uh, then we got in the cars and we left yeah and yeah, we escaped. And so for that weekend, like you could tell that that experience had had like a weird impact on all of us because like we weren't sure what we expected of each other at this point. We're like, <laughs> we're supposed to set up some kind of community together and we are being given this as an example of what that could look like. And that was a straight up cult. So we are not doing that. And we just like, I just remember like sitting around and being like, what rules are we going to have? Like, you can do whatever you want, like literally do whatever you want. Just be considerate of what everybody else needs to do. Like don't have sex in your room or whatever and just be cool. Then we're fine. (laughs) That's kind of like a a fate. So she's telling you what not to do. So. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that was, I know it was a long story, but that's my story and I live to tell about it. So I am so happy you are here to tell. That's <laughs> terrifying. Dude, the fact that they're going around picking up the lost and the damned, you know what I'm saying? Right? Just yeah. Like... Oh yeah. Yeah. They're picking on like vulnerable people and they're like indoctrinating them into this weird cult. And then when they try to get away, they can't cause like they have a variety of things that they try to do. Like they, they siphon out fuel from like the cars they use for their tree business so that you can't like, steal a car and get away like shit like that 
Oh my so, goodness. Damn. Yeah, it's very weird. And those metal chopsticks are for lobotomies. Oh, for sure. Yes. Yeah. Like that goes in like right behind the eye socket, right? And they mm-hmm. just kind of like scramble it up around there until they uh, they hit the nerve they need. Yeah. 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 And they let to keep the might let you keep the little part they take out. <laughs> <laughs> awful. Awful. So awful. Which actually leads a question to you both here, since uh, we haven't recently watched the invitation. Do you think the the cult that they're in? Spoiler alert: They're in a cult. Uh, yeah, let's just get spoiler. Yeah. This is your spoiler warning because there's some shit I want to talk about that's spoiler. Is it kind of an amalgamation of like the Heaven's Gate, some Charles Manson? Like, did you get specific elements or you know uh, characteristics of certain cults out there all into this? Did you get vibes of a particular one? I think so. Yeah, there's some there's some Heaven's Gatesy vibes in there. I'd say Scientology as well in like the way that it seems to be pretty widespread. Like there are a couple of people in the room who are like, oh, yeah, my boss does that. Mm-hmm. I was thinking more of like social media Jim Jones. Yeah. Where the I, I do believe that the Kool-Aid was poison still. And it is a murder death cult. But the fact that he can reach out so many because if Jim Jones was around in the digital age, it would have been. I mean, we would have a lot of like, he's like the Tony Robbins of death. So I don't know. I think that it kind of feels like the natural progression because as we've seen in horror, as technology advances, so does the horror. So it it just seems like the natural progression of the cults, media savvy cults. Agreed. Agreed. Well, let's talk a little some spo- some spoiler reaction here with this particular film. Uh, Genius, kind of walk me through because you, again, you've talked about hype burning you occasionally, but this one you were enjoying, specifically the, the, the ride that you took. So kind of walk us through that. It's so weird because like at first, first of all, it should be noted, we go through, you know, this this last month here in January, we saw some sexually charged movies very and i think it kind of bled into because technically we were still in january so (laughs) but it felt like it could have turned into a swingers party at any moment i was waiting that was right before the dinner when they're all talking around i was waiting for a bowl for keys it just seemed everything was so sexually charged the way she came out the way she the uh, evie and and then the way he was like, we're all about free love. And then the friend came out, the 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 friend, the friend, and it was just like, I mean, even to the point where people were like, is an orgy gonna break out here pretty soon? Because it felt, and I know it shouldn't have felt sexually charged because of all the drama. But before you knew of the drama, like if I went in and all that shit was going on, I'd be like, oh, it's one of them kind of parties. And you know what? Here's the thing. If you want to be swingers, if you want to do everything, cool. Consenting adults is everything. But at the same time, don't come at me with the guise of it possibly might be an orgy, but then try and sell me on that. You know, it seemed like, you know, the Ponzi scheme of cults and like swingers conventions, you know, because it felt like it felt very like, here, let me sell this to you. I'm selling more things. My bullshit detector went off. Bing, 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 like immediately. And then when you find out that the fact that a scant two years of the horrible shit after disappearing out of nowhere, let's bring everybody, everybody's going to deal with their own grief in a certain way. But at the same time, when something horrific like that happens and just so laissez-faire about things, Mm -hmm. the red flag should be going off immediately, immediately. But also it was... 
you knew that they broke up, but the way she like came out into that like weird like let me get the glass. Ooh. And then the party turned sexual when they're like, I want to kiss him and I really want a blowjob and I want some cocaine. It still felt like at any moment, like they would push a button and la 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 like the, the disco ball would come out and the rotating bed would come out of the floor, you know? But then but behind that was this eerie looming feeling of sinister and evil and just holy shit and then when john carroll lynch comes in (laughs) whenever john carroll lynch comes in and he's not like laughing you know ill shit is gonna go down so i was like we need to go and when they're like where are you going so fast you know it, it, it felt like it felt like i was trapped at that dinner party too and i did not want to be there as much as i love festivities and all that especially as i'm getting older they're becoming more like you know and and the fact that it just kept getting more awkward more and awkward and awkward and then when they brought out the uh, faith-based faces of death you don't do that at a goddamn dinner party especially when you're trying to set the mood for lamar you don't like here check out this Welcome to General Hospice. And you're like, God damn. Why would you do that? That is the, not a good way to end a dinner party. Before dinner even. And yeah, like, I, I, mean, know. I know what they're trying to do with the actual thing that they're, you know, right, nobody's going to hang out after that food. But um, at least feed me first. Like, if no, you're gonna nobody, s- nothing makes you not want to stick around for dinner. Like watching someone die. Right. Like that's, that's sort of a No. <laughs> And it's not even like this is going to sound terrible, but it's not even the fun way of watching somebody die. I'm not saying like snuff films are cool, but I know I've been known to watch a good gory horror movie before before I ingest some food. But at the same time, I know it's not real. But at the fact that it like it's somebody dying and they're like, but look, it's about peace and love. I give a fuck. I'm trying to eat. I'm ready to fuck. You're over here. There's no fucking cheese balls or any hors d'oeuvres or nothing, but just this expensive ass wine. And now you're showing me this shit. This is not this is not a good appetizer. I am not wanting to eat the meal. And then after that, and then here's the thing. After all that shit went down, they still ate. No. They still I, I ate know. the food. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm yeah. thinking, okay, if I w- even if I didn't know any of the bag, even if I was like somebody else's like a uh, boyfriend that from just one of the friends, I would have been like, you know, if they're showing us videos of people dying and all of a sudden there's this meat buffet, it looks like fogo de chao. I don't know if I want to <laughs> I don't know if I want to eat. card over, my friend. Right? I don't know if I want to fucking yeah. eat that. I don't care if it's or on like a sword. Was it Fogo to Chuck? Yeah, right? Fogo to <laughs> Chuck. <laughs> no, but yeah, the, everything was so off with it because honestly, I mean, it felt like a sex party at the beginning, you know? But then it took that dark turn well and there's even the fact that like abby was mentioning the fact that this is something that is not just for a lot of people do it this is the invitation people know about this there there's kind of winking elements about what happens in mexico is it yeah no first of all and then they're like hey i learned this great party game in mexico that is a bad sign that is speaking from experience and someone who has learned games in Mexico, that is a bad sign. Whenever it's like, hey, hey, let's get around and drink wine and do Mexican games. Uh, you might want to, unless it's Loteria, you might want to check the instructions. So- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think the another thing that I like about it that, that kind of resonated a little bit with some of my own experience is like, yeah, like the way that people justify it throughout where it's like, 
none of this should be okay. Like, this isn't okay. This isn't okay. This isn't okay. But like, given the, uh, I don't know, like the immense amount of grief that uh, they oh. know that Will and Eden have been through and like the separation of their marriage and the fact that it wasn't even that long ago and that Eden went completely off the grid and then suddenly came back. It's just like, you know, maybe she's dealing with it in her own way. We weren't there for her to support her when she needed it. So maybe we should try and just humor her now. Like I, again, like I'm, I probably am the friend who like tries to leave part mm -hmm. of the way through and just realizes that this is not my scene. I'm still not sure if she actually made it out or if John Carroll Lynch straight up murdered her. I feel like maybe he did. John Carroll Lynch um, straight up killed her. I just yeah, straight yeah, up yeah. just slit her throat. That's... And I would, I would like to say that I think John Carroll Lynch as a person seems like a very interesting and nice dude. He is welcome in my home. Mm -hmm. John Carroll Lynch, the character, not ever. Never, never, never. No, I am 100% in agreement with you. I loved John Carroll Lynch ever since the Drew Carey show. And I followed his career. And like I said, unless he's laughing, you don't want him around. Yeah, exactly. Like, even when he's laughing, when he's fucking Twisty the Clown, you don't know if you want him in your house. But at the same time, I'm sure he's witty, urbane, charming. But even, again, like, even after the face base faces the death, when they're having, like, you know what? It is about my wife. And then he goes into, which starts with this loving story and then gets dark again. It's, and it's incredibly inappropriate. Not only is it inappropriate, but like this man should be in jail. Like right. it's not only a bad thing happened. It's like, no, you were abusive and you killed your wife. That's like, you shouldn't be here. Well, And that's the worst part about the cult is it's the cult of a lack of accountability. You know, they're, they're, I did all these horrible things, but you know what? I put out love in the world, and I'm good with it, and I'm okay, and I forgive myself. You shouldn't be the one to choose whether you forgive yourself on this shit. You know what I'm saying? Some, some of this shit needs to be determined in a court of law. And so, the, sure. And the fact that they're just so laissez-faire, and even going back to like the friends, although she's dealing with grief in her own way, or they're dealing with whatever, at some point in time when it becomes a danger to themselves and to others, especially to others you need to step in you know so, so it's like it's a cautionary tale for everybody no matter absolutely. where you are on the spectrum even if you're like hey i'm all about again whatever you want to do as consenting adults is fine but as soon as your your rights stop where my rights start so yeah. like yeah i i'm all for like hey, hey everybody get along and everybody love each other i'm even down for everybody love each other but i'm not down for to the death you know and so it's it's the weird because of that cult it just whatever it showed us was just like again like you said when it's that moment we're like god damn you need to get things right and i hope it works for a lot of different people in a lot of different aspects because there was a point where in times where i was like "Ooh, yeah no i would be long gone but at the same time i think i would have stayed but like that's what i'm dealing with that's so <laughs> so yeah no this is a great movie and the direction of it the fact that it starts out dour and creepy and gets worse and worse and creepier and creepier and creepier and, and, and i love the fact it, it, it's heartbreaking the flashback scenes mm -hmm. but it's interesting how in that towards the end when you find out that what's going on with the sun when it turns blue in the flashback. It's warm and inviting. And normally you'd think of blue as a cold, dark color. And then when it goes to the warm yellows of oh. the room that it is, it's dark and scary and cold. And the fact that she can use those two opposite colors for the intended purposes and creep throughout. Again, 
from the get-go, my spider senses were tingling, and I fucking I hated it and loved it at the same time. So, yeah, no. I would have been long gone. And I don't even know how you would have. I would have tried, like, hey, when, when Abby, when you were at the uh, the the farm, right? Yeah. We'll call it the farm. Sure. Were, we, were we a boy and his dog? <laughs> right. <laughs> I would have been like, hey, Back can I, I hold. In Topeka, yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> Can I hold the keys to the car just in case? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of lessons learned that day, one of which is, yes, always take the keys. Um, But, yeah, and I wanted to to add that I I feel like one of the many things that this movie does so well, and I think a lot of the, the credit, I mean, goes to, to Karin Kusama, but also to the script writers, too, who she, I think she worked with, again, on that Nicole Kidman movie, which I did not love as much, but I appreciated the fact that they were willing to continue to collaborate because clearly it's, it's a really, it, they work well together. Um, is that, uh, like that's, it's not a surprise what happens. Like when, like from, from the get go, like you said, Jeannie's like your spider senses should be tingling because nothing about this is new. Like, you know exactly how this is going to go down. And it just, it's still like she manages to get all this tension out of it because it's so based in, um, in relationship and the fact that these people have a strong connection to each other and want to be there for each other, they're not necessarily entirely sure that this is the way to do it, but like, I'll try, mm-hmm. I'll try to go along with it. I'll try mm-hmm. to help you. And like, there's a question as to like, really how this is going to end. Like our, our history and our knowledge of film tells us that that food is probably poisoned and y'all are going <laughs> to die. But uh, it's, it takes so long to get to that point. And there's so much justification up to that point where you are sort of meant to, I think, question a little bit as to whether or not it is actually going to go the way that you think it's going to go. And then, of course, it happens and it's really effective and there's catharsis. And then you realize that, like, this is happening not just in this house. This is like a microcosm of shit that's happening all over the place and probably not even just in that city. So, like, this this could easily be, like, the pilot episode of a series, I think, which I think is also super interesting. It's just, it plays with um, with tropes and expectations, I think, really, really well. Oh, completely, completely. And I remember, so I, it was really funny. The first time I saw this, I saw it at um, one of the Dismember the Alamos way back in the day. Uh, it was, we opened with Halloween 6, which was kind of a weird way to open i thought maybe uh paul rudd was in attendance but he wasn't uh we had we did a uh, 35 millimeter uh script uh print of suspiria which was incredible uh followed that up with the strangers and then we closed everything with the invitation and it was a great way to see it the first time because that ending really affected me just with the red lights the fact that they were everywhere but genius, recently you told me something according to, and maybe you probably found it on the the internet or this or that. But the idea of the pineapple, yes, in accordance with uh, swinger culture, mm-hmm. especially in like the seventies. So my question, and what kind of freaked me out at the very end, was at the very end, instead of lanterns, I fully expected <laughs> just them... a bunch of like red pineapples lit up pineapple like tiki torch, like like, like larn ornaments. God help me, that's where my mind went. So I don't know whether to thank you or well, could we just finish watching Shivers? So exactly. like you said, this could be like another like a spinoff, like the Tales of the Invitation, or like what happens after the cult, or different things like that. But yeah, it turns into it, Red Lantern Diaries. The... Oh yes. Oh. Because you said we know how this is going to end, but there's also like 
there's also a different hope that it might be. <laughs> I'm just saying, if we add Duchovny to this show, oh yeah, I'm in. I'm in. Red Lantern Diaries. I like that. Well, uh, <laughs> I kind of want to. Uh, any particular other thoughts on Genius? It is brutal when uh, she's actually attacking John Carroll Lynch because there's not a lot of like gore set pieces and that's such a slow burn. But when he she oh, uh, bashes his face in. Or when he bashes the face, oh, that was a rough one. That the gore- I think it, it probably helps that it, it feels like, I mean, one of the things that makes John Carroll Lynch so creepy is like, I mean, he's he's a tall dude and he's got that kind of creepy face, but it also just feels like he's built like a side of beef. So like, he's, he's got chuckle. He's chuckle. To have her, yeah, Fogo to, to Chuck. Um, <laughs> so when, uh, when Will's girlfriend, yeah, like beats the shit out of him, it's just like, yeah, it just it feels like she's smashing that bottle into like, yeah, like a side of beef. It's just like that's going to take some work to bring that man down. And mm-hmm. she does. Oh, there's some tenderizing that goes on in there. When the violence hit, it hits very quickly and sharply from the gunshot to the moment when the girl starts after drinking the the special decanter wine. Um, all those moments that then escalates into that final 15 minutes. But it is that moment, like I said, at the very end with Eden, when she finally expresses grief and has that moment where she's like, I really miss our son. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And it hit me a little bit differently this time. But just the way that builds to that moment and you get Will and Logan as as played by him. He's just so good in that moment and having that shared moment with them when he finally gets to kind of express the grief with her. It kind of reminded me of Abby, by any chance, did you see Relic? I did, yes. Uh, I did finally see Relic on your recommendation and, oh, and liked it a lot. Uh, it's, it really reminded right. me a little bit of the end of Relic, it, just in terms of the kids' gloves, so to speak, that are used with the final moments of someone. Mm-hmm. It really brought me back to that, that he kind of had was able to have that moment with her. And I don't know if she was able to free herself or not, but it still, it just gets me to this day. I just don't know what it is. Um, Sadie freaked me out. Okay, the, the, Sadie was a trip. The the yeah. hippy dippy one. This well, this is the and of deal course breaker. her name is Sadie. I feel like it's, that it just it feels like a hippie name. It feels like a Manson child. Like yeah. it just the second she shows up, you're just like, okay, this is what I think it is. Or <laughs> or like honeydew or some sort of like yeah yeah yeah. You know this is this is moonbeam. You know and she comes out hello. And I uh, think like she. I, I had not noticed this the first time that I watched it. I'm pretty sure the first time you see her, she's like standing in the door and not wearing pants. No, she's and completely then later naked. And comes out like, yeah, wearing a dress. And you're just like, oh, that chick was naked not that long ago. This is weird. See, <laughs> that's why when I when that happened, I'm like, oh, it's going to be one of those kind of parties. You know? So the... <laughs> Because, I mean, there's like a naked chick running around like, hey, what's going on? And then she comes out. I love everybody. And I want to give everybody a kiss and a hug. And again, consenting adults do it. Whatever you want to do. But at the same time, don't lure me into like this shenanigan things. And then like, but before you go, have you heard about Amway? You know, it's just. (laughs) (laughs) But she scared the piss out of me, too, because the one scene she's like, hey, let's make love by the pool. And and then like, and I can make you beg me and they're like don't dream it and the next thing you know she's fucking chasing you down the hallway and scared the piss out of you i was like holy shit maybe not a deal breaker but like but at the same time it's like ah, she genuinely scared the piss out of me that's when i was like okay yeah that's this is my line of the sand so (laughs) but at the same time Again, that whole balancing act of it just being sinister, mm-hmm. 
throughout at the same time where you don't know because there's a lot of avenues this weird dinner party could take. It could be a genuine like look, uh, some sort of not retribution. What's the word I'm thinking for? Some sort of relief, some sort of like catharsis mm-hmm. way. Like, hey, look, I want to get back. I just got back from Mexico and I like cleared my head. I need to address this. Blah blah blah. It could have turned and I got back from Mexico and I'm down for Lamar. It could have turned into like I just got back from Mexico and I want to kill everybody and everything. There's just all these different avenues you could take. And the fact that it kept you guessing, even though I knew it was going to happen, I was still like guessing all the way up into like the final minutes. And just like Will, I was like, don't fucking drink that sherry. You know, we nothing good comes in. Can I offer you a sherry? No, no. So now I got to worry about uh, hippies, hitchhikers, hobos, dinner parties and sherries. It's just it's a laundry list, my friend. It's a laundry list. (laughs) Other thoughts, Abby, on your side on the invitation? Yeah, um, I think you were mentioning a little bit earlier about, uh, yeah, like the 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 idea of, of forgiveness and a lot of these folks having joined this cult, I think, because they are looking for ways to forgive themselves. Um, and I mean, I don't want to get too Jesus-y with you, but I mean, I was watching this to review it for Sojourners, which is a Christian organization. And so I was, I was kind of, I had that in the back of my mind the whole time. Um, but like, I, I've actually, I've been thinking about this a lot cause I feel like it's popped up. I mean, in our actual culture, like ideas of forgiveness and being able to just forgive people blindly, uh, it's popped up in other movies. I think promising young woman is another movie that deals with this idea of forgiveness, mm-hmm. uh, in a really effective way. Um, but I think there is kind of a, a, a bastardization of forgiveness that sometimes crosses over into religious realms, but I think often has a more secular connotation to it where like you should just be able to kind of like, like forgive and forget like immediately. And that's not the way that it works. Um, I think anybody who's, who's had to, to work for forgiveness, to offer forgiveness or to accept it um, knows that it's supposed to be a more complicated process than that. It's like a two way street. So like when, when, uh, John Carroll Lynch's character, who has the awesome and very creepy name of Pruitt, just like straight up, just, you know, that mm-hmm. dude's bad. Um, <laughs> that's, a, that's a bad guy name. Uh, and and not, not even like a first name, just Pruitt. Um, and like when he talks about like, yeah, straight up killing his wife and then like having to grieve her and go through the process of, of forgiving himself for that. It was like, you don't get to forgive yourself for that right? of anything. It's just like, that's, I think that's a prime example of it. And also, uh, uh, Eden's new, new husband kind of talking about what a, what a piece of shit he was like doing all, all this cocaine and leaving like a trail of broken relationships behind him. Like there's some apologizing you have to do. Mm -hmm. You don't just get to go to Mexico and be like, I was sad about some stuff. And now people say that all I need to do is just be, you know, happy and lovely and, you know, allow myself to die and take a bunch of my friends with me and then everything's going to be okay. Like that, I I think if you tie conditional, like that kind of condition to forgiveness and make it like in a way simple, it's not really that simple if you have to kill people, but if you make Mm -hmm. it, if you make it like in theory, like just do this and you'll be fine. Mm -hmm. Um, Like that's, I feel like that should be a red flag too. Like it's forgiveness is not easy. It's hard. And you have to be able to go through a process of saying sorry to people who you hurt and uh, like saying that you're not going to do like you're you're going to try your best not to make that same mistake again and like meaning it. Um, 
and like being like legitimately repentant and sorry that the thing happened, even if the only person that you have to say that to is yourself, like in the case of Will and Eden, it being a totally accidental thing um, and them still loving each other, but just not being able to like connect in that same way after their child's death. Um, and I think Will gets it. Um, he, I, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily a healthy relationship with, uh, with forgiveness and repentance. Cause he's, he's more of a, more of the, you know, do what needs to be done, kill it and move on. Um, which is, I mean, it works very well in his situation. I don't know that that's necessarily sustainable. Um, but I think it's a, it's a healthier approach than Eden has for sure. Um, so that's, that's, that's another kind of subtextual thematic thing that I really appreciate about this movie is that it just, I mean, it's, it's, it's creepy and culty and works very well with, uh, with established tropes, but I think that's, kind of the like the bottom line that it's getting at is is that it's grief and forgiveness are processes and they are hard and you have to deal with them directly you can't just you know say that it's completely self-generated and have that be the end of it right i think in rocky four they said it best there there's no easy way out uh sincerely because it is a process and it's a process a lot of people don't want to deal with Mm -hmm. and that whole thing of denial i mean that's exactly what that whole cult was built upon and that's when i realized like i said at that moment with eden that you know i was in denial at that point and i was like man i don't want to end up like eden where i realized that the when it's way far too late that i should have addressed stuff and the fact that you could probably get a dissertation or two out of a you know this particular film and that's Mm -hmm. what I love with good horror like this is it can just entertain on the, on the surface of things, but it can educate below the surface. And that's, you know, just what, like you said, Abby, what you bring into it on that particular viewing. And my baggage was different the last time I saw it, you know, and it'll probably be different the next time I see it. Yeah. I definitely want to rewatch this one again. I mean, this is one that I really want to rewatch. She's supposed to be doing Dracula for universal. I didn't see it on her MDBA. I heard initially that the way Lee Wanell did with Invisible Man, that she was too. I heard that as well, but I'm not seeing on the Indiba now. Have you heard anything about that? No, this is, I think I had maybe heard something about that at some point, but I haven't heard, I haven't seen anything other than that. I feel like, I mean, just based solely on this, I would love to see Karen Kusuma make a, make a Dracula movie. I, yeah. I feel like it could be really cool. Oh yeah, definitely. It would be, yeah, you, you, I don't know if you'd want to go to that party or not genius. I would. <laughs> I would. Dracula's three sisters. No, but, um, also I, cause this is my first time watching this movie, so I don't know a lot of the, but do you, has this movie received a lot of like, Oh, well it's not horror. It's, well, and it's that's what I was going to logical thriller, throw it out to both of you. If you had your own little video, uh, store and you had, you know, uh, your own little subject areas. Would you put this under horror or would it go elsewhere? Uh, that's a good question. I'd, I'd put it under horror. Like I, I tend to think of horror with, um, I mean, yeah, like a fairly broad brush. I like to, I like to put a lot of stuff under, under the genre umbrella. And yeah. I think this kind of, it's, it, I think it, it is a psychological thriller, but I do think that a lot of good psychological thrillers are also horror films. I think it, it plays with, uh, with psychology and established tropes in the same way that a horror movie does. So yeah, it goes there for me and I would welcome an intellectual argument conversation. We'll say conversation. I'm not going to, I'm not going to debate anybody on it, but I will, I will, I would gladly discuss it with folks who think otherwise. Yeah, I would agree. It's a, one is a death cult and 
<laughs> and Fair, they're, yeah. they're right there. There's horror with the death cult, but also the fact that from the get go, that feeling of dread, mm-hmm. that that feeling of something sinister is going on, that unknown, that that creeping feeling along your back, like this is not right. Throughout from the yeah. get, it has to be horror. I mean, just yeah, that one that one sat with me for a little bit. That one was creepy. I didn't want to like go out and do stuff. I was like, Ugh, there's people, and they might try to. Kill me! Kill me out of nowhere! Well, what I really dig with her work and her body of work, um, Abby, as you mentioned, her film Destroyer, uh, which I also had a, I had a chance to see that in the theater. Uh, she's got a really interesting filmography. So ha- are you guys familiar with any of the other films that she has uh, worked in, you know, horror or outside? Uh, yeah, I've seen, um, I've seen Jennifer's Body uh, in the last couple years or so and i agree with the general consensus on that that it didn't get nearly enough love when it came out and the marketing completely screwed it over i think it's a great movie mm-hmm. i had a chance to see it uh last year for the first time in the theater uh actually no it would have probably been maybe two years ago then i think it was over at screenland armor it was actually in theater two uh liz our friend liz nelson uh one of the co-hosts of the black magic coven podcast was hosting it and it was it blew me away and i was so upset for not having seen it earlier, but man, to see it in the theater, it played wonderfully. And it is starting to get that critical reappraisal, which is nice. Me and Mambali saw it in the theater. Now, why were you there? Well, Megan Fox. That's fair. That's fair. But the fact of the matter, it was a good fucking movie. Yeah. And it still is a good movie. Yeah, really. And it has a lot of fun things to say. And I, the marketing was bad. Yeah. Because, uh, but... I think it's going to hold up, and I think a lot of people are going to come back, and especially I hope people reverse engineer it. And I'm looking at uh, Karen Kusama's work, and I have not seen a lot of it. I mean, I know of Halt and Catch Fire. I I have seen uh, XX, Mm -hmm. but I don't know what one did. I have heard of Man in High Castle, but at the same time, I want to see more of her stuff because it's it's really good. The Invitation really fucking fucked with me. <laughs> yeah, I, I had forgotten that she did uh, Eon Flux, which I, I, I'm pretty sure that hasn't received any kind of critical reappraisal. I remember seeing that in the theater and hearing all kinds of bad about it afterward. I, I wasn't wildly impressed by it, but I don't know that that's necessarily her fault. It, it feels like it was just kind of a bungle on yeah. a lot of levels. Mm-hmm. Well, and then also she did Girl Fight, which, if I recall right, that's where Michelle Rodriguez got her start, is it not? Yes, it is. Yeah, and I think I've I've heard I've heard some stories about her like being difficult to work with, even on that initial uh, film, like having uh, to go and like get her out of bed and being like, Michelle, get your ass to set. Um, but I I want to say that uh, Karen Kusama was a guest on um, the Switchblade Sisters podcast. Um, which is a, a great show that mm-hmm. I, I cannot recommend enough. That's April Wolf's. Yep. Um, yeah. Every Thursday podcast. Yeah. It's, it's a delight. And that one was, I think a fairly early episode, like within the first year of that podcast existence, but it's, it's pretty legit. No, it, it, it is legit. And she is totally legit. And I'm so happy to have been able to revisit that film. And obviously genius for you to watch it for the first time. So I guess mm-hmm. some closing thoughts here on the invitation and Karen Kusama. Um, yeah, I think she's, I, yeah, I think this is, this is a, a a low key. Yeah. Low key masterpiece. I'll say that. I think, I don't think that's overstating it. Um, it's a, it's a great slow burn. I think it does a lot of, it, it 
plays with atmosphere and tone really well. This is clearly a movie made by people who knew exactly what story they wanted to tell and how they wanted to tell it and just executed it very tightly. Um, and it was, I was happy to see that, uh, to see that Destroyer came out like so quickly on the heels of this. Like it's clearly a fruitful partnership, even if I didn't care for that movie that much. I know some people who really do love it. Um, and so I'm, I'm hoping that that means that this is sort of a, a, a renaissance mm -hmm. for, uh, for, for this director, for Karen Kusama. Uh, Cause just, I, I think she's got a lot of promise. She just has not been given enough opportunity to really show us what she can do. And when she, when she does, like you get stuff like this, which is great. So more of that, please. Yeah. I love this. This is a slow burn atmospheric. Just one of those movies that just like will make you very, very wary of a lot of things. Now don't invite me to dinner parties. I'm going to go. I mean, Unless I'm, I'm guaranteed I will not kill you. Like, okay, cool. You know? <laughs> Don't try to sell me on any cults. I'm definitely not going to go to your farm. Uh, <laughs> wherever that was. I No, I really enjoyed this movie. I hope she does make the Dracula movie. Because what she did with the tension and dread in this one, I can't even imagine with a vampire. So, yeah. I'm, I'm a fan of this movie. Oh, I'm glad you enjoyed it, man. And thanks to Abby, we had a chance to revisit it. Now, again, thank you so much, Abby, for taking the time to join and talk with us. Now, where can our listeners find you out on again? Remind us, please. Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter at, uh, at Abby Olchesi. It's A-B-B-Y-O-L-C-E-S-E. -E. Um, you can also find me writing stuff for The Pitch and Crooked Marquee uh, most regularly. So look for my stuff there. Can do, can do. So thank you again for talking with us. Now, mm -hmm. we do have technically our next guest booked, but not recorded, so I don't want to jinx anything. Right. But next week we will begin be talking one of our favorite women in horror about their favorite women in horror. So until that time, this is Greg D. I'm Genius McGee. And we'll see you in your dreams. Mm -hmm.